And here we be under the sea on the Hive Poetry Collective Poetry Show on KSQD 90.7 Community Radio for Santa Cruz. I'm Lisa Allen Ortiz, host for this week, and my guest is Esther Kamkar. Esther Kamkar, the author of Hummingbird Conditions, The Hum of Bees, and she's here to talk about her new book of such things. Hi, Esther. Hello. It's so nice to have you here. I um, put you in a comfortable position before um, you came and asked if you could choose a poem to read to introduce yourself. Are you comfortable doing that? Do you want to choose one to read that I haven't prepped for? Yeah. would like that. It's kind of hard to find a poem that is about whole of me, but about some parts of me. And I think I would read this poem that is um, on page 85. (laughs) Um... Mm. It's called Crossings. Yes, Crossings. It is possible to smuggle a poem across the border, to entrust rhythm and melody to ears, to surrender sense and syllables, to confide fragments from mouth to heart, It is possible to abandon the avenues of one alphabet, to forget the names of trees and flowers, to trade alabaster for gypsum, to wonder, was it the wolf who ate the grapes, to cross the border as a mourning dove. It is possible to put two tongues in the mouth of one poem. Beautiful. I um I had this idea of um constructing this conversation around three parts first a little bit about you and then about the book and then about the world beyond the book and the role of poetry in it um and that was such a um fine poem to start with um because can you tell us a little there's so many actually um, poems in this book about gates and crossings and actually that, that whole section, I think section six mm-hmm. is about refugees and crossings. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about your history? Mostly, can you just start with your childhood? Because I've heard you talk about your childhood before and it's one of the most pleasant experiences. Can you tell us just a little <laughs> bit about your childhood first? Well, um, I was born in Iran and I spent, um, about seven years in Jerusalem to go to school, and then I came here. And um, now I have three American children and three American grandchildren. And, and how old were you when you came to the United States? I was 25. And when, before you went to Jerusalem, where in Iran did you live? I lived in Tehran. Okay, in a city in the city, in the suburbs of Tehran, and I'm one of nine. I'm the sandwich person. I'm the fifth. You're the fifth. Yes, I'm the fifth child. And your mama came here too? My my parents came here with a Carter visa 
uh, as a humanitarian uh, on humanitarian visas uh, when the hostages were taken in Iran and they came here uh, with two suitcases basically and they left everything behind then they came here with their kids with the, with my my father and mother okay yes um and your I actually want to come back to talking more about that when we talk about the part six of this, but can you just describe your house a little bit? For some reason, um, the, the the gypsum in the, in the poem crossings and the grapes and the doves, does any of that come from childhood, or is that, are those kind of images more recent? Oh, the... I think this, uh, to forget the names of trees and flowers, it's really interesting. You, you gain another language and you forget. I, sometimes I forget. I say, what is oak in Persian? And then first I know oak in English. And then I remember the oak, Hebrew oak for oak. And then I, and I take a few minutes to remember oak in Persian. And all the languages are different layers of my motherhood language is in English. Mm-hmm. My younghood language is in Hebrew. And my childhood language is in Farsi. So some people ask me, they say, how do you make your metaphor? It's because you speak different languages. I say, I have no idea. Who knows how we make metaphors? We don't know. Yeah, and your you language see? is so folded up because you speak. Your family is Jewish, but was yes, lived in yes, Tehran. Yes, right? yes. So, did you go to temple? We went to temple just for holidays, but not. And is it we had? We, there was traditional. We weren't re- really religious, okay. but Jews are minority in a Muslim country, so they kind of stay together. Okay. Is there still a Jewish community? Uh, yes, there were about over 100,000 Jews in, Tehran, in Iran, but now maybe now there are 20,000 left. Okay. But Jews have been in Iran, in Persia for 2,500 years. Yeah. My sister, she had a dream that she, it's, it's kind of a coexistence with Muslims, Jews, and Zoroastrians and Christians. My sister had a dream we believe in dreams. So she has. She had a dream that she was going down a very slopey street and she was falling. She was losing control. And an image comes to the middle of the street and that Jesus Christ, and he stops her and oh. saves her. So the next day she goes to the church in Tehran. She knocks on the door. She said... They opened the door, and she says, I'm a Jewish woman. I live in, in Tehran. I had a dream that I was saved by Jesus Christ. I just came here to light a candle. Oh. And they opened the door, and they let her in, and she lights a candle. Oh. I know. Isn't that wonderful? That is a really nice story. Yeah. It seems kind of wise, right? Like, who knows? Just to be on the safe so side. So people live together for generations, yeah. for thousands of years. You know, they are each other's neighbors, you know. And was the temple you went to very old? Like, was it a beautiful old? What was it? Like? No, it wasn't too old. No, okay. no, no. Yeah. And how old were you when you lived? I left Jerusalem? Iran when I was 18. Okay. Yes. And I was there seven years. And then I came to Milwaukee, of all places. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And cold. It is cold there. Can we, um, if you're just joining us, uh, this is the Hive Poetry Collective, and our guest today is Esther Kamkar. And Esther, I wonder if you could um, read whatever the C on page 23. 
page 23, yes. Yes. Whatever the sea, time doesn't pass, it curves around us. I am the best person to transport you. I do it by touch, you say in my dream. I mistake your hand for my own, holding the pen. I reach to take the pen and write for us. Push the boat out, whatever the sea. It's funny. I So I asked you to pick a poem to introduce yourself. Yes. And... Um, I picked this poem to sort of introduce my myself as a reader of this book, mm-hmm. which is of such things, Esther's new book. Um, and I love the way this poem makes me feel included as a reader. And I also wondered um, how much of it had to do with you as a writer and your process as a writer, like... Um, I just see you interacting with the world a lot and wonder um, how you feel as an individual versus a reader or if you think about your reader. Like what, maybe you can just say, if, if, you, if that question is too hard to answer, just what your process is like, and then maybe I can see how this oh. poem relates to it. Oh, I mean, I have no idea what the process is. You know, every day I do some writing practice, and... After you write 100 pages, then you go back and there may be a line or a phrase just shining on your page. And you say, okay, this is maybe a beginning of a poem. And when did you start writing in your life? Did you write when you were a little girl? No, I I started writing um, 32 years ago. As a mama? Yes. Okay, as a new mom. Yes. Okay, how old? Because your son is your oldest, right? Yes. Yes. I started writing because I had a very good friend. Her name was Sally, and she she was in North Carolina, and I used to write letters to her about my children, the babies, and my life. And she always said, "You're such a good writer. You you write such good letters. You should be a writer." And then she died very young. The year that an earthquake broke a mirror in our house. And then after she died, I wrote my first poem. Oh. And I think that was Sally's gift to me to say, you're such a good writer. Yeah. So that's how I started writing. Oh, well, I can say about this book, Push the Boat Out, push the boat out Whatever the Sea, and I reached to take the pen and write for us. I mean, I don't know if I'm sure you weren't thinking about her directly when you're no. saying that, but she, the fact that I do have the sense that your poems are to somebody. I always feel like they're to me, <laughs> you know, when I'm reading them, yeah. but they have an intimacy about them. Well, that's how I started writing. I thought I, I was going to write to my best friend as if I was writing her a letter mm-hmm. without filters just to be completely honest and fearless. I don't know if I have reached that point of being fearless, the fearlessness, I'm not sure. And sometimes I think I don't have any ambitions for my life, but perhaps one ambition to write fearlessly. Yes. So I like to have a listener that loves me, Mm -hmm. and I want to write to that listener or that reader, not somebody who is going to... 
uh, to critique me or, or disagree with me. I just want to write or paint, show somebody to sh- somebody who loves me. So yes. that's my. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I wish everyone had that opportunity. I think because some people, maybe when they start younger or they start with kind of an ambition to be a writer, have a public imaginary person they're writing to and um, to write to Sally or to write to a best friend who loves you is nice. I'm sure you don't always do that because supposedly we're also in those hundreds of pages that you're generating probably writing to yourself to figure out yourself but to write to yourself as your best friend is also a nice way to think I think that at some point there's no difference between yourself and the one who loves you yeah you asked me to bring a poem that I love, mm-hmm. so I brought one. If I can read it, oh, read it now. Okay, please. yes. This is from another poet. <clears throat> that this is a poem that I have loved for many years, and it's co- it's by Derek Walcott. Mm. Love after love, the time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart, Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Derek Walcott. Oh, oh fantastic. And isn't that just what you were oh, saying? Just, yes. <laughs> and then, of course, now we'll have to skip to talking about the book because... Um, I have this under, I love books of poetry because they are their own made object and, you know, a poem is a made object and a book is also a made object and it's a, sometimes hard to understand. Um, but I felt like this book and the, the, the epigraph, the Stanley Kunitz epigraph, um, uh, uh, in the layers, um, is kind of about that, but how also there is, um, as we lose things, we kind of, maybe later we can read that Kunitz poem actually and try to figure it out. But certainly in this poem with all the doors and the opening and, um, the loss and the invitations is a lot like the, um, manifesto of that walk up poem that you, mm. to the stranger who was yourself, you kind of get to know when parts fall off and, um, the, the world can get to know you and you sort of see that you aren't um, very different. Let's hear um, another. Oh, um, I wanted to uh, I, I, remind me to come back to the the section about your family in here. Um, we were traveling together, but it might be nice actually now to talk about your the formal poems in here because they seem like like you have a lot of poems. I'm calling formal poems that are follow a form. Mm-hmm. And often the form is in response to something else, um, like the poems that are after the Banu Kapil um, yes. questions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the postcard poems. 
Um, there's some hazels. There's that really. Could you actually tell us about the poem called "The Gate," which well, you describe as a puchukacha? Well, What's the gate. The gate is um, just to honor my mother who died two years ago. She was 98, mm-hmm. and I uh, I, um, I wrote a very long poem, but then I chose the term pechakucha. Pechakucha is a a, a Japanese um, method of presentation in conferences. Everybody shows 20 slides. I I did Google that, and it was very... So it's it's like um, a deck thing for... um, uh, What is it called? PowerPoint or something, right? And she took a form from it. That is so great. It's it's a PowerPoint form, and they can have many people... to present their project in a conference. Mm-hmm. So, and every slide takes a few seconds so they can fit and they showed 20 slides. So I chose, I wrote 20 stanzas and each stanza has a title. And Pecha Kucha means gossip in Japanese. Oh. And it kind of reminded me this, uh, this word in Farsi is pitch, 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 pitch is when you gossip in somebody's ear. It's very similar, pecha kucha and pitch, 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 pitch. So it was very attractive. So it really fit what I wanted to say about my mother. And did you say you wrote the poem first and then put the And then put in the form of pecha kucha, yes. That is so clever. Yeah. I um, it's a long poem. It's a long poem. Yes, we can read maybe a few. Do you, let's read a few so people will understand the form. Um, but I also wanted you to maybe, if we have to make a choice, there's also the um, poem "Cylinder Seals" that's also in a kind of form, kind oh, of acrostic. But do you want to read that instead? Because I'm going to have you read another page, one about your mama. What page is it? That one's on page 69. Okay, I was at the British Museum. A few years ago, I was invited to give readings in London, and then I had time to go to the British Museum, 1690s. And you see all these beautiful treasures from all over the world. And I wanted to say, you don't, you belong to Persia, go back, you belong to Egypt, go back, you belong to Mesopotamia. You have this sense of uh, abundance that came from somebody else, someplace else, you know. So I looked at cylinder seals, and they're really small. They're about two inches, um, and they are carved with uh, very detailed descriptions, and they were to seal clay uh, clay seals. You know, if they had a jar of honey, they would seal it with clay, and they would roll the cylinder seal on top of it. Oh, okay. Each one had a description, and the one I chose... Uh, is King Ashurbanipal of Assyria. King Ashurbanipal crying before Ishtar, the goddess of fertility and warfare, like a child asking his mother for help. The description of a carving on a two-inch by one-inch Mesopotamian stone cylinder seal at the British Museum. I chose Ishtar because Esther comes from Ishtar. Oh, Chalcedony. I didn't go looking for my childhood home, but to Keith's bedroom, his parlor, not my childhood home. Obsidian. 
In the hushed halls of treasures, I whisper over and over, you belong to Persia, go home to Greece, you must be in Egypt, go home to the one who loves you, I whisper. Black serpentine, dancer on the dark, dark sea, watches over me, the venom in my belly, cormorant cares for the wound, watches over me. Marble. Underside of your wrist, endless sugar. This body real as you see me, that body real as I see you, endless sugar. Granite. No roadblocks, no soldiers with guns, only low dry stone walls, enclosures for sheep along the South Tyne River. Sheep like white buttons on green hills. Dry stone walls, wild geraniums, buttercups. Green serpentine, an ibex or a scapegoat turning 120 turns going home to Scarberry Hill, to Hawthorne and the one-eyed pet lamb in silence, in silence. Garnet. My concertina heart unfolds. I copy Neffin's cone on the cover, paste Sheila's hummingbird on page one, glue the children's horses, collage the aga stove, an elephant, my heart unfolds. Lapis lazuli. Something so simple, so small, a sunflower seed, a hill of ten million porcelain seeds glazed in black with white stripes. I leave them, walk by the river, something so simple, so alone. Carnelian. I didn't go looking for a map maker to make me a navigation map, squaring the circle is an ancient, unsolvable problem. My map is the shape of things. My map is the shape of things. I love that. If you're just joining us, this is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD 90.7 Santa Cruz. Our guest is Esther Kamkar, and I'm Lisa Allen Ortiz. And that was the poem, Cylinder Seals. I interrupted you, Esther. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say that these sunflower seeds by Ai Weiwei, he made 10 million sunflower yes, seeds. out of porcelain, right? Yes, yes. It was at the Tate Modern. Oh, is that where the sunflower seeds yes, come in yes, here? Yes, yes, um, And the river is Thames. <laughs> and also all these little stanzas are named after stones in yes. this poem, which is why I called it a formal poem, although it's also, of course, ekphrastic in response to this um, thing in the museum. Um, it is I love that first stanza I didn't go looking for my childhood home but to Keats' bedroom, his parlor um, and this problem of things where things come from and where things end up you know Mm -hmm. Um, and we want things to go home but now we're all mixed up Mm-hmm, so we can't mm-hmm. always, you know, people have been stolen or people have been driven from their homes or um, people have traveled from their homes. And so to end with, with my map is the shape of things. Um, it's really beautiful. I didn't go looking for a map maker. My map is the shape of things. Do you, 
I know you do collages. Do you want to talk a little bit about your visual work? Because this poem also reminds me of, you know, as things are coming from different places and um, collage. And the cover of this book, Of Such Things, is a collage made by you, correct? Yes. Could you, are you comfortable describing what it looks like since this is radio? Well, these are um, from altered uh, National Geographic pages. And I... Every layer is a strip from a different page, and um, um, it's just the layers, like Stanley Kunitz's. As soon as I chose this for the cover, and Stanley Kunitz's poem arrived, like they kind of belonged together, and it was not an accident. Huh. But these are the things that I love, and they just met each other on, in this book. And did it's, the manuscript exist before? Did you make this cover intentionally for the manuscript? No, no. Okay. Yeah. You had this piece. I had you. this piece of art, yes. So yes. it looks like um, like a road cut or a geological site. Strata, so has, yes. Yeah, strata. So that, strata, yes. Although now I can see there are parts of National Geographic because you said that when yes. you just look at it in the bookstore. It sure looks like... Um, uh, geologic cut. Um, it might, but you can we talk about the Stanley Kunitz um, poem? I brought the whole thing. You have an epigraph with a section of it. Yes, it's a little bit of a long poem, but it is so interesting and kind of famous. It seems appropriate to um, read it on a um, on a poetry show. Would you like to read the whole thing, or do you the want to just thing. read that section? Uh, just this section. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The layers, Stanley Kunitz. He was born in 1905 and died 2006. A long, good life. <laughs> How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses in a rising wind? In my darkest night, when the moon was covered and I roamed through wreckage, a nimbus-clouded voice directed me live in the layers not in the litter <laughs> I, I love Stanley Kunis when you listen to him he talks about his dreams how dreams really inform his poems and I grew up with dreaming parents and dreaming aunt who lived with us and at breakfast they just talked about they dreamed from last night and it was a normal thing we said okay pass me the feta cheese pass me the bread and the butter and they would talk about their dreams it was a you know and my mother had dreams that she felt and we believed they were prophecies like oh. if my brother went to job interview she said I saw you on a white horse. You're going to get the job. And the, and the family sort of believed that because of course. it must and have worked so many yes, times. Yes, yes, That's a smart mama. And she had a dream once that my um, my father was dead by then. And she had a dream of my uncle who lived in Jerusalem. And my father was kissing his brother's chest. And my mother said, why are you kissing his chest? Come kiss my breast. They're so soft. <laughs> in they're the not, dream? Or yes, at the in the table. dream. <laughs> in the dream. They're so soft, not hairy. 
<laughs> and in the morning she woke up and she told my brother, your uncle is dying. <laughs> and after a day they had a phone call <gasps> that he really had died. Oh, so she did. So we have proof that her dreams were really connected to some source that, you know, we didn't know where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> so to so I believe Stanley Kunitz. That's what I wanted to tell you. Oh, you believe him because he's a dreamer. Yes, yes. because he's a dreamer. Yeah. <laughs> and the beginning of that poem is, um, I have walked through many lives, some of them my own. Yes. Um, and I think at the end of the poem, it's more about transformation. So I think that, I, I really love that line, live in the layers. And yes. I feel like that's kind of where your poem comes from is that what also it means to you what does that mean to live in the layers to you rather than the litter i think the layers inform each other and they are so connected Mm -hmm. it's like the way we live every day you know i move my tools every day are a spoon because i like to cook and then i go pick up the brush you know and then, and then I go pick up a spade to garden. They're not separate selves. They're all together. They are different layers of me that coexist. Yeah. And they make you present the way you are today. Mm-hmm. And when people say, what's the meaning of life? What, what is it all for? This is for this moment. We are four of us here together to do this radio show. Yeah. That's what we lived for, perhaps. <laughs> I'm 72, so I lived for 72 years to do this one hour. And that's lovely, you yes. know. You're right here and you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Because the layer is the top thing, so that's where you are. And then tomorrow it will yeah, be the bottom. There, there would be another layer that you add as you go. Mm-hmm. Some layers are tearful layers, but then I can talk about the other layers, but I don't cry anymore. I laugh yeah. because they're part of me, but they are not sad layers. I needed those layers to become who I am, I think. Yeah. But altogether, I'm not sure. I, I feel like I know nothing. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, it's just just being alive. Some days I feel like all my senses are open. I like, like my three-year-old grandson, you know. I f- you feel, you hear something. Like there are poems all over around the corner, that you can catch, you know, this could be a poem or that could be a poem. And that gives you this vibration. It's like doing Qigong for one hour. <laughs> yes, it is. A, you do lose yourself with it, like the whatever the sea, you do lose yourself when you're writing and you're, you lose yourself and you're also totally present, or at least that's yes. true for me. Yeah, yeah. But it, um, I love that this book also honors all those layers in the past. Um, could could you read Bread, Water, Flowers? It's going backwards a little bit to page 21, but since we were talking about your mama a little bit, a little bit, and, and um, the layers. Bread, Water, Flowers, one. My mother taught me to never step on bread. I pick up the piece of bread and kiss it before I place it in a safe corner away from trampling feet. I have all, I save all the pencils I find on the ground. I keep a pencil for Ashraf who could not write. Her palms were bloody and swollen. 
I keep a pencil for Behruz, whose fingernails were ripped out, and one for the poet Farrokhi Yazdi, who could never read his poems, his lips were sewn shut. Two. When I left my childhood home at 18, they poured water behind me to symbolize light and a safe journey. My father wrote me for many years, started his letters, Dear Light of My Eyes. 3. Every summer end, my mother sent me to the rose garden to fill my skirt with rose petals for making jam. The open flowers were easy to pick. I watched and waited for the rosebuds to open for me. Sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Yes, that really uh, reminds me of what we were just talking about, about the layers Mm -hmm. and the sad and heartbreaking layers and also the very light um, rose petal layers. Thank you, Esther. If you're just joining us, you have tuned in to KSQD 90.7 Santa Cruz. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. And the, our guest today is Esther Kamkar, and I'm Lisa Allen Ortiz. You have a section in here I wanted to talk about, um, about your family. There, there are a number of, I really like the way this book is organized, Esther. Um, and I guess because this is radio, we should talk a little bit how beautiful it is. Um, there are, are there seven sections? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, seven sections, and each one has this. Can you explain what this is? You told me this word, and I can't remember. It's a little circle with a B in it. Yes, and and my initials. This was a a bookmaking um, technique at the turn of the century that they put the initials of the poet on, on either book. side of a logo, and and the B is my logo, I guess. <laughs> And that's why where you're on the hive. Yes. Yeah. If you if you have a bee in your logo, yes. we'll definitely invite you to the hive. <laughs> yes. And the, and my friend uh, Robert um, Perry, he's a book designer, and he designed this book, and we collaborated together, and we talked for hours and hours and hours, what to put where and how to choose the chapters and the parts to ch- call them chapters or parts and how to choose the font and the numbering of pages. This was a lovely experience to work with him. His, his artistic sensibilities match mine, mm-hmm. and we have we know each other for many years, and he does a wonderful job. And did you did he also do hummerbees? Yes. Oh, okay, which is also a beautiful walk. Yeah. If you don't get the new one, get hummerbees, which we could also talk about. Um, could you, so in the section called We Are Traveling Together as a Family, that line comes from this poem called Approaching Simple. Yes. What page is that? Uh, 44. Page 44. Yes. Approaching Simple. Approaching Simple, staying small, nevertheless, never the more. My mother in the hospital again. At home, I wipe the avocado-smeared high chair as I listen to my daughter crying, laughing her news on the phone. It is a boy. Bittersweet, 
Watermelon shavings, my mother's remedy for high fevers and for weak stomachs, egg yolks beaten with sugar. She has pneumonia again. The courtyard house of my mother's childhood on my mind, not to fill the chambers, but to stage a sort of housewarming, a passage. We are traveling together as a family. I love that line. We are traveling together as a family. It's it's um, both speaks to the grandchild who is arriving and the mom who's leaving, um, and kind of includes everyone too. Mm-hmm. You know that we're all traveling together. I like that poem a lot. You must have read you. So your mom ended up in L.A., right? When did she move? In Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. Yes. You, your mom has been very formative in my personality development because you told me a story <laughs> once about how your brothers go to her house. I, this was a while ago. Maybe you said it publicly and I just heard it, but your brothers go to her house regularly. They were in their fifties and sixties and they'd go to her house for lunch. Yes. It, like for decades, right? Yes. <laughs> and have lunch with their mom. Um, Eve, when she even got into her 80s and maybe yes, till the her end. 90s. Yeah, in her 90s, she was yes. still making them lunch. And that, I just thought that was such a moving story. And I thought, that is what I want is to be useful in that way. Like, just to continue to be useful in my 90s to, if someone still comes to my house for lunch. Um, so I think about that a lot. And it has helped me make that um, that little promise to myself. Mm-hmm. But she also, it was very intelligent way of inviting company. Yes. She wasn't alone. And did there, was there, was there guilt? Did they go because they were worried about her or did they go because no, she's a good cook? Because she's a good cook. She was a good cook, but also, um, it was convenient. They would drive five minutes, they go for lunch, they have tea. Uh-huh. with dates and then they go back to work uh-huh. you know that would be foolish not to go <laughs> I think but she also made uh, food when I went to visit we made stuffed grape leaves together like hundreds of them uh-huh. and then she would have a big pot and she would make different servings for each fa- My, I have four brothers in Santa Monica and three sisters so she would make little different servings, and she would say, okay, uh, this brother has two children, so we counted the, the, the stuffed grape leaves. Yeah. And then in real bowls, so they come, she called them to come pick up the food, uh-huh. and then they would go home, and then they would have come back another time to bring the bowl back. Oh. So you get two visits. Yes. And if you send a plate to the neighbors, not in a paper plate, but in a real plate, then they have to come back to bring your plate back. <laughs> That's very intelligent. Yes. You know, yes. Of yes. having a community. Mm-hmm. You know. Just those small ways of being... Uh, of building a community that sort of the myth of convenience has has shooed out the door, right? Yes, you yes. know it will be more convenient mm, in a mm. plastic thing, but more meaningful in a real one because you have to bring that plate back. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I really. Um, I am sorry. Uh, she left because um, she had a big influence on me, although I never met her. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
let's see. I also kind of want to... Um, well, let's read one more poem from that section. Do you want to pick one about your mom to read? There are so many I like. I like Bus Stop and a Bus Stop. Sure, I like Bus Stop, too. Bus Stop. Bus Stop. All around the outside of Brentwood Manor, at the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and Wellesley Avenue between 7-Eleven and the big blue bus stop, the residents drink at 7.30 a.m. from coffee cups, cans of beer, cartons of milk, and share cigarettes and they old donuts, tease each other and laugh. A young man offers me an empty bottle <laughs> of rum. They sit on the bench to rest, not to travel. Like stumbling stones on the sidewalks of Berlin, they make me trip. They make me think of the cribs and toy dump trucks. Waiting for the number one bus to the hospital, I'm standing between my old mother and my grandchild to be born, holding my breath. So many um, layers in that poem. And I really like the messy present. You know, all the seven of the coffee cups and empty bottle of rum, all the messy present that you're kind of, you were born to be in. Um, in the a lot of the formal poems, the section five, um, it seemed to me. I I doubt this was really organized, but it it um, came to be that um, a lot of those poems seem to be about frailty and um, and mortality in a way. So it's so sweet that they come after the family mm-hmm. ones and that they are pretty interactive. Like that's where. Um, you react to a lot of poems. Um, does that? Ha- are you read? Do you read and write at the same time? Like, do you? Uh, what's your? What are your reading habits? Do you read at different times than you write, or do you sometimes like read and then think of something, or do you read at night and write in the morning? Are reading and writing different things to you, or do you like? I um, Kwame Dawes writes in books. He writes his own poems in the margins mm. of of books that he's reading yeah. and he um, kind of reads and writes at the same time sometimes sometimes he writes other ways mm-hmm. and reads other ways so I, I don't do that I don't write in the margins I read separately and I write separately <laughs> and um, sometimes to have my hands busy mm-hmm. doing things making things then some poems come. When you're making something else, because you have a lot of other sensual and creative um, things in your life that maybe is a good time to talk about. You're a very good cook, like your mama, Yes, and um, (laughs) have a lot of wonderful people to cook for, and you're a visual artist and a maker of things and notebooks and um, paper things. Um, So how... Um, is making how is cooking the experience of cooking and making visual things different from different or the same as making a poem for you or is it like a different language I think they're different 
different language, different doors to go to the same place. Mm-hmm. Cooking different. too? Yeah. Okay. There are different gates that take you to the same place that you want to go. You know. And what place is that? What place is that? I think the place is to to be in touch with yourself, to be to go deeper within yourself. Yeah. And to be unafraid. Sometimes when I write after five, six pages of writing perhaps nonsense I get this physical reaction. My hair stands on my arms and I get sweaty maybe and I shake and I get really scared. So I close my notebook because I'm afraid to write more. Yeah. But I have learned, I have taught myself to take a deep breath and not to close the notebook and keep writing. And then if I think about the light that shines through the window, it may take me to my grandmother's basement that it's totally something else that I didn't know it was going to go there and I kind of open myself to what comes and I welcome I welcome the winds (laughs) yeah (laughs) I welcome the winds and then watch them to see you know what they leave behind you know sometimes they come forcefully the winds and uh, sometimes they knock on your door, and I have to, I have taught myself to say the, the the thing that knocks on the door that you welcome is yourself. Basically, is that a stranger? Yeah, is yourself. And what if you don't welcome it? Still uh, yourself out there, like the thing that you said, the thing that knocks on your door. Yes, is yourself. Is yourself, and I I would like to welcome if yeah. it's a happy self or a sad self or an angry self whatever the wind is I just want to welcome it to come in yeah and um, just to to love what comes even if it's not a happy thing that comes yeah it's a yeah, it's like what my grandson says he says I love gravel I love bricks <laughs> <laughs> and I want to love bricks too, you know. Yeah, because he was his self right there was a loving self. Right? I know, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. That's a joyful yeah. thing. I had an idea for a while that I should write about everything until I love it. Um, I don't know if I believe that anymore, but you know, uh, that love. I I wondered for a while if kind of love and affection was the ultimate seeing and that if I could take anything like something that would ordinarily bother me lady cutting me off in her SUV or whatever and write about her till I loved her um, I thought for a while that that was um, my aspiration as a writer but I have a quick I wonder if you could read what is it called um, the poem about thorns I had it written down here and I, of course oh thorn bushes um, it's early in here, maybe the second section. Oh my goodness, I don't have the um, page number written down. Um, it's, I think it's in part three. Um, oh, maybe it's in part four. Well, it's, it's page eight. Oh, it's page eight. Oh, it is early. Mm. It's not so much loving whatever comes, mm-hmm. but accepting what is. Accepting, acceptance doesn't mean to love it. I think maybe you're right. And I think, you remember I, I went through a part of my life where I was sad? Yes. And you wrote a note to me that said, 
you have to let sorrow come in and sit in the corner, mm-hmm. give her tea, and just let her sit there. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah. Um, okay, let's hear thorn bushes yeah. because I think that is what you were saying. Thorn bushes, thorn bushes spring up wherever an army passes, and thorn bushes spring up in the hearts of the passing army. In this war of love, long as the pregnancy of an elephant gives darkness, gives her radiance because she lets it. Okay, we could have just not had the whole conversation and just read this poem. <laughs> Don't you think? Because she lets it, yeah. Yeah, and also I had a, um, I have a question written in the margin to ask you about anger. Um, and what place anger has now in our in our world. So I think I'll still ask you that question. But this time when I heard you read that poem, I thought, oh, that's just a fact that thorn bushes spring up whenever an army passes. That's just true. Um, so I wonder what uh, what your thoughts are on anger, injustice, in the face of injustice, and also being a writer. Um, and what role anger has for us now? Um, I just want to say that this thorn bushes spring up wherever an army passes mm-hmm. is from Dao De Ching, Lao Tzu Dao oh, De Ching. Okay. Yes. And in uh, the hearts of a passing army was your observation in yes, response to that? Yes. Um, so your question was about anger. Yeah. Uh, what is the role of anger in a writing? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder, though, at this time of... Um, I mean, I think people, I think we do, because people maybe are getting a a little isolated, not your mom, and not people maybe who aspire to be your mom, and send dishes, but there is isolation, and maybe isolation leads to anger. Is it any role of poetry to, I mean, poetry doesn't have to have a job, it doesn't get paid, so it doesn't need to have a job, but um, is there a possibility that poetry can do something with anger. I mean, I guess there are angry poems. I'm sure I've read an angry poem. I can't think of one that does that job. I guess I've lost track of why I'm asking that. Um, but ang- um, not all angry poems are good poems. Right, sometimes they're ranty. They're ranty, yes. It's like, it's the idea of love and war. Everybody knows love is good, war is bad. Mm-hmm. But how do you write write a poem about war is bad without writing a reportage or an essay. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you express uh, love without writing about body parts? You know what I mean? Yeah. To be so explicit about a love poem. Mm-hmm. How do we turn the junk into gold in our poems, basically, you know, that is a, it is a task, I yeah. think. And maybe the thing about writing to Sally, to our best friend, right, it is a more honest 
the truth of our experiences that we are turning junk into beautiful things in our everyday lives and that's what we talk to our best friends about the anger maybe is more a different audience right Mm -hmm. when we're when people are more ranty or just explicitly talking about war but but a lot of people who want to make peace in the world they're so angry and Mm -hmm. i say how can you be so angry and want peace it's kind of yeah uh, one negates the other Mm -hmm. you know and so many people are active in community things and building things and going to peace marches, but then they don't talk to their neighbor. Yes. They don't talk to their children. Yeah. And how do we build from inside out and not... Right now you talk to people, they say they can't sleep because they're angry at Trump. I mm-hmm. say, well, he's a good scapegoat now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. What did we not sleep about before? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And so often, yeah, I find that yeah, that we behave the way that we that that gentleman or whatever he call him behaves in response to him. Like we get angry yes. and judgy and silly and go on yes social media the same way he does yes. instead of behaving in a different manner. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's kind of interesting. I don't have answers, really. I don't know. I just, um, I guess, mostly go with my own thinking and intuition and circumstances. And it's kind of a way of life, Your uh, the way we behave yeah. with the strangers, with our neighbors, with our colleagues, with our children. We, you know, it's it's a lot of listening. Oh, yeah. And not so much talking. It's the right. That's how you build a better life. Will you read um, the poem called The Keyhole on page 83? And while you're finding that, I'll remind anyone just joining us that this is the Hive Poetry Show on KSQD 90.7 Santa Cruz. This is Esther Kamkar's poem, The Keyhole. Okay. Keyhole. There's something from Randall Jarrell. He said... The ways we miss our lives are life. I want to reconsider the possibility of consolation. The bereaved mother accepts the gift of dates and coffee offered by the soldier's mother. Let her in. I want her here. When will we arrive in the country of longing? No matter the wreckage, this is what we have now. The door is lit by a keyhole. <laughs> that reminded me of what we were talking about somehow. And this that poem also comes in um, uh, a section of poems about um, refugees, really, and and borders and um, and the like. Let's see. I I would. Really like to have you read a long one, but I also don't. I also because this is the hive. Want you to read um, solitary on page ninety-three, if you'd be so kind. Solitary. Some bees are solitary. Wild bees, no colony, no queen. They rest. They nest in hollow trees, stems of dried bramble, snail shells, red mason bees. Herbel carpenter bees, 
lavish pollinators, no pollen basket, no sting. The female bee chooses to lay a female or a male egg. The male bee protects the flowers so she can eat lamb's ear nectar. In the first cell, she lays a single egg on a ball of pollen and nectar. Then she makes a partition and builds a new cell for each egg. Red mason bee caps the entrance to the nest with mud. Bee houses, bee condos, bee hotels. I fantasized escaping to motels on weekends without my small children. She leaves enough food for each egg, but never sees her offspring as bees. No honey, no wax, solitary and wild. I really like that tension in there between solitude and community, right? Because when we all think of bees, we think of the hive, right? Yes. The group together, but that there are some bees that are solo flyers. Um, and I, I think earlier we were, before we came on the air, we were talking about solitude. Um, and I think of the answer you gave uh, in this interview about what you're, well, the thing you're searching for in all creative endeavors is your self, but then so much of this conversation has also been about connection and and community we share. It's interesting actually, you know, I mean of course it's interesting, it's the a job we all have of like finding the balance between ourself and community. Yeah. Um, uh, people talk about saving the planet or, or or the galaxy or but they forget that they are part of this planet. Yes. You know, yeah. Do you know what came That's to me? They forget. I was in LA recently because my daughter was sick down there, and I was driving on a freeway. And I was thinking about how we all think we're the center of the universe. And I thought, oh, well, that's because it's true. Like each of us, and it made me have a great affection for everybody in their little cars. Oh, that lady is the center of the universe. And that guy, too. <laughs> and me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, we're a part of it. And we've got a keep that. I want to, before we, we wrap up, I want to um, plug next week's uh, Hive. Uh, Dion and Farnaz are hosting. Uh, Farnaz has interviews with visual artists who are um, influenced by poetry, their relationship with poetry, and Dion is um, talking about what she's reading. Thank you all for joining us on the Hive on KSQD. Esther, especially thanks to you. Can I have you read one last poem um, called Harvest? It's the final poem in the book. Yes. <clears throat> Harvest. I pick the persimmons, he picks the figs. We fill the basket with purple salvia and hold it between us. We eat a fig, we eat a persimmon from the basket in the space between our hearts. Of all the voices this year, I love Mindrod Craigheads the most. She said, O cave of the heart, illumine us. We beseech thee. Thank, Thank you. you, Esther. Thank you so much. I Thanks enjoyed enjoyed this reading. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming. Yes. Okay.